This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Good morning and welcome to the October 17, 2022 For Your Benefit radio show. My name is Bob Lines. I'm with NITP. We're going to talk about financial planning and Brian Kurz, a certified financial planner, fellow seminar presenter, um, is going to lead us in that discussion. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. It's good to be here. And Andrew, the ever-efficient engineer, will keep us on, on a straight course. So we're going to talk about inflation strategies. Um, yep. So today we're going to talk about inflation. Um, certainly it's in the news, high inflation. So how did we get here? Yeah, great question. <laughs> uh, that you know, high inflation has unfortunately become the major topic, I would say, of 2022 as it relates to financial markets. You know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to supply and demand. So when we first started seeing some high inflation data uh, last year, you know, we kept hearing this this word from our Federal Reserve, transitory, as in temporary. Uh, and it, it made sense to a certain extent. We had COVID shutdowns, which created supply chain disruptions, ships sitting at the port of LA, and just other bottlenecks and problems uh, that limited supply. On top of that, you've had pent up demands, people that were sitting at home for year, year and a half plus, and that supply and demand imbalance created the higher inflation. The assumption was that once some of these supply chains were restored, that things would come back down. And unfortunately, what has become apparent and more and more apparent over the course of the year is that high inflation isn't going away. Uh, we've continued to have strong demand associated with a strong economy. Uh, and you've had continued lockdowns in China and just other small issues within supply chains as well that have created this dynamic of this persistent high inflation, which unfortunately hasn't gone away. So um, if you had a crystal ball and looked, it's pretty hard to say, well, this should dissipate in two years, three years or whatnot. But as, as history uh, maybe has shown, how long do these things last? Yeah, good question. I think every cycle, every situation is is different. Uh, you've got a lot of different components to inflation. You know, there's certainly some areas that looked as if they've already peaked, and we may be hopefully on the backside of declines uh, in inflation data. There, the impact to food and energy with Russia invading Ukraine has certainly played a role. I mean, we were already seeing high year-over-year -year CPI data, and then that really added fuel to the fire. So how that conflict ultimately resolves and what it means in terms of the price of energy, that, that's a big component. You know, We tend to look at inflation data with food and energy and then without it. Uh, both have been high, both have been increasing. There's a lot of speculation amongst economists and financial analysts in terms of where we stand. Uh, the fact of the matter is we just got a new CPI number in year over year uh, last week, and it came in higher, came in higher for September than experts had expected. And that's 
kind of been the case uh, for most of the last, I'd say, year and a half. Almost every CPI number has come in higher than expected. So there is a lot of bits of data out there that has shown that perhaps in certain areas it's peaked. But unfortunately, we're still seeing uh, we're still seeing pretty high persistent inflation and we can have all the economists in the world looking at it. Uh, but it's still a bit of a question mark how all that data is going to come together. Uh, and that in turn, it's that high inflation data, which is really driving the Federal Reserve's actions and in turn impacting our stock and bond markets to a large extent. And, and I would um, I would imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, probably a substantial number of your clients are federal employees and or retirees. Yep. You find them a little bit more skittish than the, the um, private sector people? Uh, I would say everyone's a bit skittish. I mean, I think it certainly matters on where you're at in life. Uh, I obviously, I think people that are approaching retirement whether they're with uh, whether they're federal employees or not, are probably the most concerned with good reason. Uh, and the primary reason for that is there's a big change. You know, if you're a few years out for retirement, you know, do I have enough saved in my TSP? Am I going to run out of money? What you know, what is this impact of a drop in value to my TSP? There's a lot of looming changes. So I think this high inflation is especially concerning. Not that it's not concerning for everyone else. I mean, certainly for retired individuals, they you know, don't necessarily have the way to save like they could before. So they're sitting there looking at how long the resources will last. But you know, there's things such as our uh, FERS annuity, our Social Security that are getting social uh, are getting inflation adjustments. We just you know, with our latest CPI number, we now know Social Security will get an 8.7% increase. So that does ease the burden a, a bit when we have pension sources that'll increase. Uh, but I'd say it's concerning for everyone, whether it's private sector, federal sector, but probably the age group or time frame that, that's maybe of most concern with inflation is those who are getting ready to retire in the next few years and have uh, the biggest amount of planning for most likely to do. So I, the, that 8.7%, I saw that, I, I think it's somewhat recently. And I'm going, where did that number come from? I mean, that, that, that's pretty significant uh, change and it's pretty significant percentage. So, you know, over the years, I suppose there has been blips like this, but you know, do you have a crystal ball to say, when are they going to come back down? I'm sure the answer is no. But, um so, I mean, it's going to be derived that Social Security increase from the CPI data. And that's why we couldn't really know for sure what the number would actually be uh, for what the increase would be until we got our most recent reading. So it is definitely tied to inflation. And, and hopefully, as we see inflation come down, we won't see uh, we won't have as high of inflation. And therefore, your Social Security increases would be less in future years. Uh, but it is going to be directly tied to that inflation data that determines it. So we were kind of waiting to see what that most recent reading would be so, so we could finalize, so the number could be finalized uh, for Social Security increases. Uh, so I, I do expect that'll be less, hopefully will be less in, in future years as we do ultimately bring down inflation. So you, you work with a substantial number of uh, federal employees and retirees. You find there's a common... Uh, anxiousness uh, within that group. And that is a pretty broad question uh, to ask. But 
you know, the, when when issues like this come up financially, they normally call their financial planner <laughs> and say, get, "Get me out of the market or put me back in." Or uh, do you have any do you have any kind of demand in that regard that maybe surprised you, either with more or less questions than normal? Well, I mean, in terms of making investment changes uh, as a result of inflation. I mean, in, in, in many ways, the inflation data has driven the markets and it's the change in our stock and bond markets, which really leads to clients looking at making changes in their investment portfolios. Uh, and what you tend to see the most is when there's significant drops in the stock market is when people look to jump ship, so to speak. And that, you know, the emotional decision will generally lead us in that direction. There's this fear of, I don't want to lose everything in the stock market. I need to stop the bleeding. Maybe I'm going to go into the G fund and wait until things seem safe again. When we're feeling that way, a lot of the damage is likely already done. The market's probably down 15, 20% plus when people are, are really feeling the heat, so to speak. Uh, it's very important to think about our long-term time horizon and risk tolerance. Hopefully, we were in the correct allocation up front uh, to kind of weather the storm before that happened. Uh, and you know, a lot of times, if it's a long-term allocation, long-term time horizon, that's not the time to make big changes. So there's there's definitely a lot more of that. Uh, I had a, client, a lot of clients reaching out in June, uh, some in September. Kind of anytime we're seeing significant market drops is when you're going to have people that are concerned and really wondering if they should be making changes or not. And, and we need to kind of walk back through each step of the process and how we're invested the way we are and why. That's, that's, a, um, that's a great observation. We, we did um, email questions in, and one of the email questions in, can you discuss the ramification of a 25% drop in the TSP <clears throat> for retirees and near retirees? Um, I would imagine a drop like that is going to be more more impactful people probably later on in their careers than maybe early on or mid career. But you know, as a financial planner, how many do you get many calls with regards to the TSP and uh, talk about reallocation of their investments? Yeah, so I would say the key element to this is is time horizon. So, you know, for a 25% drop is going to have a more significant impact for retirees and near retirees because, you know, I'm naturally going to assume they've got a shorter time horizon than someone who's early career. Not all time horizons are created equal. I also want to look at the withdrawal rate. If I have someone getting ready to retire and they're going to need to pull significant assets out in the next few years, that is a different schedule than someone who is, say, retiring, but only going to be pulling out a small part each year. So, yes, the money we we have to withdraw when markets are down 25 percent, that money never has a chance to recover. However, if I am only pulling out a small part of my TSP each year, then some of that money, even if I'm retiring today, is still going to hopefully still be there 15, 20 years down the road and would have plenty of time to recover. So the amount we're withdrawing, the time frame really matters a lot. Uh, again, you know, we want to be doing the planning up front. We want to be reviewing our allocation, looking at uh, how we're invested. And if we're reducing risk, you know, if we were saying a life cycle fund approaching retirement, 
then those aren't, you know, the, the L income fund, for example, isn't down 25% year to date, and it would take a whole lot of, of further declines in the stock market for it to get there. So a lot of this should hopefully be done up front. But sure, there's plenty of scenarios where someone maybe didn't go in and rebalance and they they kind of find themselves caught in a more aggressive allocation than they maybe should be in. Uh, and, you know, there can be some difficult planning, but really we're just looking from this day forward. What's our balance? What's our time rise and what's our withdrawal plans? Uh, and through every past market drop, we have seen the stock market recover. We just don't know for sure how long it may take to get there. And, you know, there's certainly no guarantees. Uh, all, a lot of it does just come back to planning. You know, we want to make sure that we're having an idea of what our income needs will be, how much we're pulling out and what that may mean to our asset values down the line. So um, Andrew says we got two minutes to a break. So um, when you mention reallocation, do, do you find that your clients go, I don't know that I want to do that or please explain why we're not doing X versus Y. I mean, that's why they come to you. Yeah, so you know, reallocation, rebalancing. If I'm in life cycle funds, they're doing that for you automatically. Uh, they really lower the risk significantly when you're five years out from that target date. If you're in the individual funds, I don't see a lot of rebalancing and reallocating unless someone's working with an advisor recommending they do it. But it's important when we're hitting all-time highs, it can be easy to let it ride, so to speak. And we do earn more when the market's just up year over year, but then you're also losing a lot more on the downside. So I think when you've got the market hitting all-time highs, rebalancing is in many ways taking some of those profits off the table, protecting yourself from a decline. When you see a big market drop like we've seen this year, if we were to go in and rebalance, sometimes that means putting money back into the stock market that is also a time we also reassess one's risk tolerance. If I've got someone approaching retirement, they decided they wanted to be 60% in stocks, we'll say, and now they go in and they're at 50% stocks. They could rebalance if they're truly comfortable with that, have the withdrawal plan for it, or maybe they, they don't in that instance, and that's okay. You know, Our rebalancing would be moving money into the stock market. We're not comfortable doing it right now, so we're going to maybe shift that risk tolerance to be a little more conservative and leave it where it is. You know, that's one component. There's also you know, the elements of growth versus value, large cap, small cap, U.S. international. Uh, and again, I, I typically do want to be doing some rebalancing there, uh, but those are highly correlated areas to the market in general. Uh, so we want to be rebalancing, but we also want to know what we're doing and why and kind of think through the process in a lot of different situations. Very good. Andrew says it's time for uh, a break. And we'll listen to what the sponsor of the show, WEPA, can do for the listener. You've heard about the wage gap, but do you know about the coverage gap? Studies show that only 47% of women have life insurance compared to 58% of men. Plus, women carry less coverage on average. Female civilian federal employees, do you need life insurance? Visit WAEPA.org today. WEPA's online tools can show you how much coverage to consider. WEPA, offering group term life insurance for feds, by feds. Visit WAEPA.org today for more. WEPA, for feds, by feds. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here today with Brian Kurz, certified financial planner and fellow seminar presenter. 
And we're talking about investing. We're talking, I guess, a little psychology, anxiousness in the market. Or um, uh, and, and Brian works a lot with federal employees, so he, he um, has a feel for their desire to know. And some, you know, some people have more interest in this than others. Um, but everybody needs to pay attention to it uh, occasionally. So when you when you talk to the folks, do you do you maybe do like a year end planning thing or? Do you do a beginning of the year future planning uh, meeting? I think it's good to review your financial planning and plan at least annually. Uh, it doesn't have to be end of year or beginning of year. I will. I'll have people that reach out kind of as almost as a New Year's resolution in many instances uh, to take a look at things. But there's no reason the timing has to be then. Uh, I think, you know, maybe we have an upcoming retirement that is going to be in the summer, two years out. And we're, you know, we're getting together two years out from that date, one year out from that date, uh, whatever it may be. So I think in general, reviewing your investments, considering any potential rebalancing needs quarterly makes sense. We don't rebalance just based on a time schedule, but on a percentage change in moving assets. But I typically want to be looking at things at least quarterly. And then as far as kind of a larger planning session, I would say annually, unless there's a lot going on, in which case there may be two, three, even four times a year where you want to sit down and look at it in more detail. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that it has to be at the end of the year per se. Okay. We um, got a, uh, another question. Well, why do financial um, experts use purchasing power as a justification of not having a portfolio of less than 50% in stocks. I'm wondering how much purchasing power a federal employee has when the TSP has dropped 25%. This is kind of a, a good loaded question. Um, uh, because yeah. it's, it's a comment in, in the moment. But So you know, when we talk about purchasing power, what we're really talking about is when you have inflation, how much can your dollars buy? If you've got money sitting in a checking account or you know, unfortunately, a lot of the savings accounts, money market funds at banks are still paying 0.01% or pretty low interest rates. They haven't really caught up with higher inflation. Well, your $100 isn't buying as much today as it was buying a few years ago. And that 0.01 is not making up for that inflation. So you are losing purchasing power by holding in cash. Uh, the reason we typically will go to bonds and then to stocks is to try to achieve higher rates of return. We have to be willing to accept more risk in the process, but those higher returns will keep our purchasing power in line. Uh, yeah, excellent point here. If, the, if your TSP drops 25%, do you really have more purchasing power uh, of course not. You know, we've got much less than if we had just stuck in cash during that window. Again, it all comes down to the time frame. Uh, when we invest in stocks, we're not just looking at what our purchasing power is when our account may be down X percent. We're looking at what our long-term returns may be over three, five, 10 plus years. And of course, we have no guarantees that stocks will outperform cash for the next five or 10 years. But if you look back at rolling periods, the last hundred plus, the, the longer the time frame, uh, the more purchasing power we have with the portfolio that does have more exposure to stocks and bonds. Uh, again, we're taking a lot of risk to get there. And that's where this 
time horizon and risk tolerance dynamic. That's why it matters so much is we want to achieve as high of a long-term rate of return as possible, but we need to be aware of how much risk we can comfortably absorb in the process. Okay. So when you um, do these webinars and even the radio show, people will be listening, but they're different ears. Uh, somebody, um, probably there's not a um, ton of people that call us that are just newly hired or in their 20s or early 30s, but they get more interested in this in their 40s and, and sometimes they wait too late and do it when it's time to retire. So if you had to provide any advice to uh, people that, um, you know, they're, they're intelligent enough to understand what they need, but they're anxious about it because not a lot of people feel comfortable with managing money. That's why they come from people like you. Um, um, but you find sometimes you get a new client and you find they're in the CD world or the money market would not be a great place to have money, uh, but they feel comfortable. So coming out of that comfortable uh, level, how do you guide someone um, along that uh, is understanding that they need guidance, they just, they just don't know what to do, and that's why they came to you. So what do you find? Is there a common denominator there of the folks that uh, have never met with a financial planner, uh, that they have some kind of misunderstanding of what it takes? Um, perhaps. I mean, I'll, I'll tend to say people that go to an advisor can have kind of one of two areas, but, but often both. Uh, one is the asset management side that you're mentioning here, where whether it's money that's sitting in cash or it's money in a retirement plan, but they're not sure how to allocate it. They're really just not sure what allocation makes the most sense for them, what investments they should be in. The second area is the financial planning itself. You know, will I be able to retire? How much can I withdraw each year? Am I going to run out of money? Uh, and then there's certainly clients that want to look at both of those areas. So I would say in terms of kind of where people are coming from, those are the major things that I uh, that I tend to see. Uh, and then we're obviously going to be able to help and show them a lot of different you know, tools and information. At the end of the day, you know, I know I've already mentioned this before, but time horizon and risk tolerance are going to matter so much. And if someone's got money in savings and they're wondering if they should invest it, I'm going to go through a risk tolerance questionnaire for them. I want to get a feel of how comfortable they would be with different kinds of swings in the market. I want to go through how much money they may need and when. And then that output is really a starting point. You know, I may say, you know, by the book, this is showing that we should have X percent in stocks, X amount in fixed income. You know, but how do you feel about that? And then let's kind of apply it to your situation and maybe kind of look either a little higher or a little lower from there. Uh, and again, it's always in, in motion, whether it's the annual reviews or other changes that happen. We want to go back and revisit that and, and make tweaks and adjustments over time. We as um, uh, when we uh, do our webinars, our, our group over the years, you know, we're aging with the group. So what I see today, me, and I uh, see the class, although I don't really see them anymore, but I can tell sometimes by the questions. And I find that the questions today don't have the, um, they're, they're more, they have more pointed questions today than maybe they did years ago, you know, under CSRS, you know, this is what you got. FERS, it's a different story. And uh, so the, the questions then, um, 
to me, and it's easy for me to say, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, so, you know, I kind of sort of understand the money side, but, you know, and, and people will come and when we talk or, you know, at the annual tax meeting and whatnot, um, I'm not surprised, but there's a, a lack of fully understanding time value of money. So in your discussions with clients, I'm sure they all come in different flavors, but uh, the clients generally are going to come because they're not necessarily so good with managing money or investing. And, and you know, I don't, I don't mean to you know, throw a broad net out there, but you know, at least with the clients that I deal with, that's why they come because they don't understand it. Uh, and the other ones that do understand it, they, they, you know, the tax sensitivity, but more importantly, the uh, money management side. Anyway, uh, I'll stop my question before I hog up the whole show. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, as far as understanding financial concepts, time value of money and all of that, uh, I would say in many instances, going through a detailed retirement plan as you're approaching and then in retirement certainly makes sense. Uh, I don't even I don't want to wait till pre-retirement to start my planning. I want to be running TSP projections, uh, even maybe going through the full details of what my retirement income needs would be well before I get to that point so I can make changes if I need to. Uh, but a financial plan will outline everything uh, in an easy enough way to kind of see time value of money. I can see my need in today's dollars and then how that may grow over time as a result of inflation, what those income sources may be from FERS annuity, social security, whatever it may be, add in some cost of living adjustments there, look at different rates of return on my assets, and then how my asset growth will change as a result, and then see what the gap is, what I'll have to be pulling out of assets to cover those income shortfalls. And that'll kind of show you over time how both rates of return, inflation rates, how that time value money concept applies, and how it ultimately all blends into a retirement plan. All right. With, with the groups that you speak to, um, the groups, although they're uh, generally, quote, pre-retirement seminars, but I found over the years that it, it isn't so much pre-retirement. It's You have people in there that maybe have 10, 15 years of service and they got another 10 or 15 years yet to go. And they're you know, they're very good at what they do, but they don't fully appreciate the time value of money. And so with regards to that, I kind of sort of asked this question earlier. Uh, when you speak to these folks, and then I'm sure some of them uh, call you later, are you sometimes surprised at, one, maybe how much they know or maybe how much they don't know? No disrespect to anybody. And uh, you and I understand our world, but if somebody was to ask me about somebody else's world, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. No, I certainly get clients that uh, come in in all shapes and sizes, so to speak, from a financial literacy standpoint. Some are doing a lot of the money management on their own. They've done a detailed retirement plan, uh, projections. They've got a budget. I've got other people I meet with, and you know, they really have no idea if they've got positive or negative cash flow. Maybe how they're invested, where all their accounts are. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really a range in terms of the type of people that I come across. Okay, now the uh, let's take a take a look at the person that it, it, you know it, uh, likes the G fund. Um, you know, doesn't want to venture too far out, but if they're late in their career, 
or you know early pre-retirement hopefully they're not doing that anymore but the earlier on so you find that the, the the younger folks are more interested in growth and moderate risk than others yeah uh, i mean i would say the longer one's time horizon uh they typically are comfortable uh investing more aggressively but not always the case so yeah i would say that somewhat comes naturally that we'll see younger individuals who want to be more aggressive pre-retirees and retirees who want to be more conservative uh, if they don't feel that way that's okay but again something like a risk tolerance questionnaire uh, may help them to kind of identify what that proper investment allocation should maybe look like for them okay one of those um bullet points on uh, the questions for the show. What are the best investment options to combat inflation? <laughs> yeah, so we can combat inflation in a few different ways with our investments. Uh, again, I think when we're looking at first the fixed income side, uh, just trying to get higher savings rates for one. And again, if you look at what you're getting in your checking and savings, perhaps shop some other options, CDs, uh, you've got I-bonds uh, that are going to be inflation-driven where we can still, through the end of October, uh, get almost 10%, 9% and change on an I-bond for the next six months. Uh, so you've got some fixed income options that are getting more attractive. Uh, fixed annuities, things like that have raised their rates. So those are without taking any risk. Once we start building in uh, more risk within bonds and stocks, uh, it can be a little more complicated. You tend to see value stocks with earnings and dividends hold up a little bit better in a high inflation rate or rising interest rate environment. Uh, perhaps some exposure to energy, commodities, things like that can act as a bit of an inflation hedge. Uh, so I think thinking of your overall allocation, obviously, but then looking at higher rates on the fixed side uh, for those you know, secure in investments that through banks, things like that, while also looking at how you're allocated within your stocks uh, makes sense. Something like your bond portfolio, either purchasing the individual treasuries or looking at shorter durations makes sense. Uh, and these can be more detailed. If I'm in, for instance, my just my TSP, uh, it's a little bit tougher. I don't have quite the flexibility how I'm going to invest. Uh, but my G fund is certainly a good option there as I'm, I'm not risking losing money. And it's, yeah, I guess in hindsight here, it's been the best inflation hedge for this year because it hasn't lost anything. Uh, but certainly, I think depending on your time frame, having some G exposure can make sense. Okay, you mentioned I bonds, and um, maybe you covered this earlier. And I got wrapped around <clears throat> the last thing you said, but an I bond is different than a savings bond, right? Yeah, it's going to be through Treasury Direct. It's going to be protecting you from inflation. So you're going to get a fixed interest rate, and that rate will change with inflation. Uh, and that's you know why we are currently seeing I-bonds get a higher rate. Now, you are limited to what you can purchase for them, generally 10000 per individual for any given year, unless it was uh, part of your tax return going towards it. Uh, but they can be, uh, so they can be at least for, or that 10K can be a very good inflation hedge to use. All right. Do you find people aren't aware of these I-bonds? Oftentimes, yes. 
Uh, and again, I think it depends on the size of our portfolio If I, uh, in terms of you know, what this may represent or if we even have the funds available. Uh, but we didn't see I-bonds paying a significant rate for years and years. Uh, so it's, it's in some ways kind of snuck up on people uh, that we can get you know, the, currently a 9.62 rate. And they said that'll be, that'll be recalculating and is going to come down, but um, that we could get such a high rate on a fixed investment. Yeah, because I look at the rates sometimes or, or somebody will say, can you really do this? But <clears throat> you can do it for a period of time. Uh, but you can't do it forever um, with new money. Yeah, so, no, there are. Um, obviously, if you're looking at that investment, you want to go through it all in more detail. Uh, you're going to have a penalty if you redeem it within uh, within an X amount of time. And it still may be worth looking at it, but it's typically going to be a longer term investment that you'd want to put into it. You find that um, uh, when, when you're talking to folks, I mean, they come in three different flavors, if you will. Somebody that's somewhat uh, young, if you will, or new to the federal sector, or somebody mid-career, somebody um, uh, you know pre-retirement. So let's say somebody uh, pre-retirement. I'm not talking about today or tomorrow, but let's say within 10 years of retirement, and, and didn't pay a lot of attention to this over the years. They they put took money in the thrift and they did whatever they did with it, but you know, I'm not going to ask you about the person that <clears throat> it doesn't know what to do with all their money. But what about the person that, you know, has been diligent savings, but uh, wasn't able to put enough in and they got somewhat of a, a short time horizon, let's say within 10 years of retirement. How hard is it to get them back to be in the tent of enough? Or maybe sometimes it's impossible to make up for the fact. Or do you find sometimes that people push their retirement date back? out year two three <clears throat> i'm not talking about five or ten but uh, to get more money in there um do you, do you find that to be much of a discussion point with new um clients definitely uh i think life can get in the way and you do have people whether it's that 10 years out from retirement five years out uh but these people that come to the realization that they haven't necessarily saved as much as they want and they're trying to catch up on their retirement planning certainly isn't too late uh, to do that at any point. Uh, and that's where going through a detailed retirement plan can definitely help. And you know, the last option is pushing back the retirement date if we need to. But certainly if we can get the savings in, maybe even catch up in those later years, that hopefully that's not necessary. And when you're talking about the plan that you generate and you sit down with the people, um, not everybody gravitates towards looking at graphs or, or, um, but they, they'll look at something and it might be a graph and they go, oh, that line is, is not going up, but my, my income isn't going up, but my uh, taxes are going, you know, you, you know what I mean? What, what do they focus on more so? The size of the investment, the tax issue of the investment or all I mean, what most people are. I'd say most concerned with is the account value. And obviously a year like this where the account value is dropping, uh, that's going to be of concern. And that's where it's important to keep in mind what allocation are we in? How much money are we pulling out and when? And again, if I have someone concerned and it's money we need in three months or six months or even a year, then then yes, I, I agree with the concern. And we, we are hopefully we're invested more conservatively in the first place. 
If it's money we're still not touching for five or 10 years, that's got a chance to recover. Uh, so I'd say account value the most, but it certainly makes sense to address the overall situation. All righty. Andrew says it's time for a break. And so we'll listen uh, to what NITP can do for the uh, listeners. And then you and I will bring the plane down for a uh, slow landing. Sounds good. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career? Or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty, we, 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 we're, we're coming to the uh, final stretch here, and we're with Brian Curris, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, Brian, how somebody get in contact with you? Yeah, they can reach out to me a couple different ways. One through my website, uh, which is www.briancurris.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-R-U-S. Uh, they can also reach me on my direct line at 703-287-7139. Wow. You're going to be busy this afternoon. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've uh, got a, um, um, a, a question. Uh, this is, I think a pretty good question came in. He said, the sad reality is that when the public is living for today, and this is a result of the pandemic, the phenomenon also happened after World War II. How do we turn the corner and get back to the fundamentals of saving for retirement? I mean, we've, we've uh, not nibbled around the edge of that. We've addressed it pretty much um, full board, but going into the last 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes or so, let's just look at that one more time, if that's all right. Yeah. Well, we kind of started our program by talking about supply and demands, and that I think really is a lot of the, the reasoning behind this. As I mentioned, pent-up demand, uh, where now you have a lot of people that were staying at home, not spending, and, and now they are spending, and perhaps they're spending too much. Uh, perhaps now with the market value drops that have kind of suddenly hit our portfolios this year, unfortunately, you may have some approaching retirement who aren't prepared uh, and there can be a bit of a reality check at times where people realize they need to spend less and save more. They realize maybe the projections aren't in line. They're going to either need to live off of less in retirement or push back that retirement date. Uh, the other thing that can happen is this recession that kind of keeps looming on the horizon uh, as far as if and when we're in a recession, how bad will it be? And you know when you do see job losses, other things associated with the recession, then that may ultimately cut back the spending 
uh, but it may take that the full impact of that for various individuals before it really hits home. So I think in one form or another, things will sort itself out somewhat over time, uh, but uh, hopefully it'll be people proactively realizing that they need to save a little bit more rather than hitting the grim reality that they spent too much and, and now are cutting back for those reasons. Um, you, you deal, um, we deal often, sometimes uh, predominantly, with um, the federal workforce, be it current, you know, working or retired feds. And I, and I found, uh, and I don't get near what you do, I talk on the tax side, but I'm some, sometimes not surprised, but the, the volume of questions that come with regards to taxes impact on one's not only financial planning, but uh, their current cash flow. Pretty hard to make up for something you didn't pay attention to or didn't realize you had to pay attention to when you're in your final quarter of your um, uh, years in, in service. Um, and then, you know, on the other um, hand, the, the um, people maybe just entering the work, work uh, workforce uh, and you go to a um, pre-retirement seminar and sometimes the people in there are in their, in their 20s. Um, but I find sometimes their questions are really good because they don't really know the, um, um, not, not all of them, they don't mm -hmm. know the time value of money. And um, they concentrate sometimes on today and they don't always look at tomorrow. You know, not that I'm the geezer in front of the class talking about tomorrow. I was in their uh, position years ago. And, you know, yeah, I'll make up for that later. And I'm an accountant. But um, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to do that. So yeah. here's my question where I'm going with this. I'm sure when people come to meet with you, they come in various um, um, stages of their um, uh, career. So we could talk about the one that's very astute and they manages the money and, and whatnot. But I think it's more so the people, there's nothing wrong with them, but they just, they don't understand the time value of money. So what do you do with somebody that maybe, you know, they know they need it, but they can't necessarily afford to put in what they need to get back to where they were. What do you do? I think, again, it kind of comes back to retirement planning, uh, going through some projections, what your TSP could be at retirement, what you're going to be able to pull out. Uh, when I have, you know, think about the inflation element and people ask, you know, how they should plan for inflation and retirement. We need to assume the cost for goods and services are going to go up. You know, whether inflation is going up at at two percent, our Fed target rate, whether it's going up at four percent, some other number, you know, that certainly is to be determined. Uh, one thing I want to think about is how much of my income need in retirement is going to be coming from what I define as secure income, uh, my FERS annuity, Social Security, a payment that I'm not going to outlive versus an account balance that I could draw down to zero, checking, savings, TSP, those secure income sources will, uh, they will have inflation adjustments. So that'll help keep up for inflation somewhat, at least in retirement. But what is that gap going to look like? That's one of the most important things that I try to go through for retirement planning in our, in our seminars is, you know, what is your retirement income need going to look like? How much income will you have coming in from these sources? And then what's that gap? You know, once we have <clears throat> an idea of what that gap may be, then we can come up with the, the quote magic number. You know, how much should I have in my TSP and other assets 
in order to be able to withdraw from this each year and increase for inflation. Uh, there's long been called a, a 4% rule, uh, which was looking at essentially pulling out 4% a year from investments, increasing for inflation. Uh, and that's considered a successful strategy. You see plenty of headlines, articles, kind of analyzing, does that system still work? That was derived from looking at a portfolio of 50% stock index, 50% bond. If we go all the way back to the Great Depression, looking at, at rolling 30-year periods, so through Great Depression, high inflation, 70s and 80s, 2008, et cetera, there never would have been a 30-year window where if we were pulling out 4% increasing for inflation, where we would have run out of money. Uh, does that guarantee us it's going to work for the next 30 years? Absolutely not. Uh, but without getting to some more advanced software and retirement projections, still think it's a good starting point. Uh, and if there are going to be problems where that may fail, we would likely see it coming in the early years of retirement. It's those returns in the early years of retirement that really matter so much what the long-term output would look like. So we could certainly make adjustments along the way. Uh, so there, so there is certainly a lot that goes into it, but those are some of the core concepts I'd be thinking about. So if you're dealing with a, a client and, and um, you've got your program on, you can tell the program, okay, the time value of money here, we have X hours and we've got 20 years to invest. Let's look at a rate of return and do something marginally low and then maybe uh, boost it up. Do does that create a better message? I mean, verbiage is, is great, but a visual, you know, you can picture a graph with a visual and yeah, the, uh, the slope going up is going to be the more aggressive. Uh, in other words, the percentage is uh, less that's going to be successful than somebody middle level or low. Yep. So there's, I mean, there's really three key components to this time value of money. Uh, one obviously is time and you can actually even look on tsp.gov and they'll just show you it's not as detailed as the calculator that used to be on there but they'll show you a different contribution rates 5 8 and 10 to age 62 67 or i think 72 and you can see how big the change in the numbers is between those amounts so one increasing time that's usually the last option but that will have a big impact Obviously, the amount you're contributing, what percent, that dollar amount goes a long way. And then power of compounding, the rate of return. And you can see at those different rates, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest uh, between them. So someone who's starting with zero or minimal balance, putting in the same amount, but you change that rate of return to be one, two, three percent different. And you know, it's a six figures impact. So all three matter. But I do think actually running projections and looking at the difference is probably the best way to understand how much it matters. Okay, here's a tough question of, of uh, clients in general. Do you find that uh, a certain uh, large percent care but don't care to look at it but once a year? Yeah, um, I mean, and sometimes when accounts are down, people don't want to look as well. And I mean, I think that's, that's okay. If anything, I don't want someone who makes a decision to fully pull out of the market or other big changes. I don't want that to be an emotional decision. Uh, so if you know only looking once a year or not looking during a window is going to prevent them from making an, a change they shouldn't make, then maybe it's helpful. 
Uh, in general, though, I, I'd say, again, I think anywhere between quarterly to annually makes sense. Um, if I do need to do rebalancing, I typically want to at least be looking quarterly to assess whether that's needed or not. And then as far as some of the larger strategy changes, again, it, it really depends on the scenario. But I'd say anywhere between quarterly to annually often is is fine for kind of how often we're going back and doing an overall review. And then you know, there may be times in our life where a lot's going on and I do need to look at things frequently. And then other times where uh, that once a year is sufficient. Andrew, the most efficient engineer in the radio industry just said, you have less than two minutes to go. <laughs> so uh, I got wrapped around the axle with this and I'm sure you do too. So I guess we got about a minute and a half left. Um, you want to condense your final comments into a minute and a half? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just say big picture on inflation. Uh, you know, the Federal Reserve has made it clear that they're going to be pretty aggressive in raising interest rates to try to stick to this 2% target inflation rate. Perhaps that'll be revisited at some point, but they, they had made it clear in past years, we can go above that for years, we can go below it. 2% is a long-term target. And it's really been a lot of the, the Fed language in terms of how hawkish or aggressive they'll be <clears throat> that has driven this policy. So the question becomes how much and how far will they go in raising interest rates? In some ways, the stock market doesn't want to fight the Fed, so to speak, in terms of it's going to be hard to have a long sustained rally while it's still uncertain as far as how far the Fed's going to go to combat inflation. So I think there's scenarios from a market standpoint where we get some positive inflation data, the Fed eases on their comments and the market really rallies, or as we've seen throughout the year, kind of one step after another, we just continue to think, oh, maybe inflation's peaked. And then unfortunately, some new data comes in that's higher and surprises, and we realize we may have another leg down. Uh, the markets very much price in all publicly known information, so that does make it very difficult to trade. And I want to try to avoid market timing as much as possible. Uh, but you know, certainly the direction in terms of what our Fed's saying and how the market reacts to that is going to going a long way in this overall picture of kind of where we are with inflation and how it's impacting our investments. Very good, perfect time. Andrew says you got about we got about five seconds left, so. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great as always. Really enjoyed discussing through these uh, topics with you. Okay, quick one uh, contact point, please. Uh, contact, yeah, through my website, briancurris.com, B R I A N K U R R U S, or my direct telephone line, 703 287 7139. Also, my email, it's on the website, but it's B Curris. So, first initial, last name, B K U R R U S at S F. He, as in Scott Frank Paul financial.com. Perfect. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> take us to take us to the end. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.